Hello. Welcome back to Thriving with Technology. I'm August Bryce. This is our first podcast of 2021, our first in a while, actually. Today is a good one. We're speaking with Rob Metzinger, president of Safe Living Technologies. He's one of the top experts I've ever talked to on wireless EMF, or what's called radial frequency radiation. He teaches classics on EMF radiation at the Institute of Building Biology. In this episode, he talks about the importance of detecting and protecting. He shares tips on using shielding and other EMF protection and the importance of a certified EMF meter. Rob is one of the world's leading authorities on detecting EMF in your environment. His team at Safe Living Technologies even designs and makes meters, which I love. I've got one in my hand right now. I keep one in the car. I have one at the office. And the reason I do is it helps to make it does. It doesn't just help. It makes the invisible wireless energy visible. And Rob even puts sound signatures on his meter. So right now, what you're hearing from this meter is nothing, but I'm going to turn Bluetooth on my computer. I'm sitting in front of my computer now. Hear that? That's the sound of Bluetooth wireless energy. Now we're going to add Wi-Fi. Okay. Hear that? That's Wi-Fi energy. Ooh, listen to that. Mm. Okay, those are two different sounds of EMF radiation. And it's so important to know about EMF in your environment. And, and you might even be thinking, why should I care about EMF? Well, it's because it's everywhere in our digital age. We just couldn't do wireless without it. It comes from the invisible waves of energy that are present when wireless devices are turned on. So you've got a smartphone or any device, your laptop, a tablet, your Alexa, even those virtual reality headsets that I think are so crazy, um, or a Nest, any device that's using cell signal or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth is emitting EMF radiation. And now we've got over 30 years of peer-reviewed scientific research, and there's no doubt that this type of EMF has a biological effect on our bodies. But we all react differently, which is good, and most of us don't notice them at all, but it doesn't mean that they're not impacting us because they are. It's, it's like other toxins. EMFs are the reason I started Tech Wellness. I figured out years ago that I was sensitive to it, and it's probably going to seem strange to some of you, but I can literally feel the tingling energy from a smartphone when it's in my hand. It does not feel good. I know the Wi-Fi is on in my house. In fact, it wakes me up, and that's why the Wi-Fi in this house is unplugged, put away, and used only in emergency situations. People refer to people like me as a canary in the coal mine for EMF radiation. I've got this video of the first time I actually held a cell phone in my hands. It was Christmas 30 years ago. And you can see that I actually cringe and my body jolts when the phone turns on. And you know, for many years, I thought that everybody could feel the same thing I was feeling. So actually, it was really a gift for me to start connecting the dots early back when I did, because back then I was like a total outlier. You had to search hard to understand the mechanics behind how you know these wireless devices were communicating and the physics behind uh, what was happening. And as I did, I started to find out more and more scientific studies were showing that there indeed was a biological reaction to this radiation. And I discovered the book Cell Phone 
phones, Invisible Hazards of the Wireless Age by George Carlo, and that really got me going on my way. As I learned more, I started looking for ways to turn down those physical reactions that I was having, and I I wanted to address the other issues that the digital age was bringing with it, like privacy concerns and the fact that I could see how so many of the people I loved and knew were becoming enthralled with their phones. Because, you know, I couldn't use mine. I could observe what was going on. And I saw that it was almost to the point of obsession. I started blogging and sharing what I learned. And today, Tech Wellness is a platform with information, experts, and solutions that empower people to live balanced with technology. Check it out for science-backed solutions. We're not about fear. We're about mindful living. We believe you can thrive in the digital age. We focus on mind, body, spirit, and safety. Your mind to be focused, your spirit to be more connected and present, and your safety so that you can guard your privacy and your body to be healthier. And that's why today in this podcast, we're focusing on how to find and protect yourself from the invisible EMF in your environment. So right now, here's my chat with Rob Metzinger. I'll be back at the end with my five top takeaways and a special offer. Hi, Rob. Hi, August. So great to talk to you. I'm really thrilled to be able to talk to you today because um, I'm just fascinated by your company. I'm, I'm fascinated that you build and create meters and that your business has probably just exploded, right? It's definitely increased, correct. Awareness is growing daily on this topic. You can say that again. It's We're in the middle of it. This topic is definitely trending. So I'm really happy to talk to someone who knows inside and out what's going on. And I first want to start with, you You really are off the grid, aren't you? Um, I, I'm in the country. I'm about half an hour away from the nearest town. And uh, RF-wise, it's, it's pretty quiet out where I am. So places like that, RF-wise, off the grid, still exist? Um, there, are, there are sheltered spots, sheltered areas where RF is not as strong as other areas. They're, they're, in these days, they're, they're difficult to find, and you definitely have to go out into the country and uh, um, perhaps in a forested environment as well or, or out in, in the mountains and, and foothills in some areas. Um, they are out there. They are difficult to find. And so for people who might be listening who don't know what RF is, that's radio frequency. And that's, that's the field that comes from all wireless energy, right? That's correct. Yes. Anything that, that has a wireless transmitter emits radio frequency radiation. Yes. And so when you go outside, outside in, in, you know, in your backyard, do you pick up any of this RF EMF? Yes, um, we, we do. It's impossible to avoid everything. So when, when I go out into my, my yard in the summertime, it's, it's really good. Um, on, on the Safe and Sound Pro 2 meter, I'm getting readings of, you know, under five microwatts per square meter in the outside area. Um, we're surrounded by a lot of uh, deciduous trees. And when those leaves fall in the fall time and into winter, uh, my readings go up. They go up to, you know, 20, 30, 40 microwatts per square meter because the, the leaves on the trees aren't shielding me as good as they are in the summertime. So it's not a myth. Trees actually, and maybe maybe this is because these trees are very dense, but trees can shield EMF? Absolutely. Any, any obstruction can, can block um, radio frequency radiation, yes. 
So oh, I, I didn't think that we would be talking about this particular topic, but I do want to know because people ask me all the time, if they fill up their office with plants, will they be protected from the wireless energy coming from their, their desktop or their laptop? Um, I, I don't believe so. I think it, you would need to, like in my case, it's cell phone tower radiation. So, so the cell phone towers are um, maybe about half a mile away from me. And uh, the trees are between me and the source, which are, which are the towers. And when they're in blossom or when the leaves are out, they, um, they're made of, of water and uh, other, other uh, components. And they physically block the radio wave signals from, from passing through as the radio wave signals travel primary, primarily in a straight line. And, uh, you know, that it's, there's a direct, um, there's a direct shield between me and the source with these leaves. Now, just having plants scattered, scattered randomly in an office is probably not going to do it. You would have to, to stack them pretty densely between you and the source, which is a wireless router. You would have to know exactly who the source was. Like if you were, if you were just in an office building and you weren't sure exactly where the router was, these you know, even if it was a densely packed area, trees or plants, house plants, you'd have to know exactly where the direction was coming from. That's correct. And it's challenging in an office environment because you're getting reflections off of all surfaces. In my case, there's, it's a direct line of sight to these towers and there's no reflections coming in from other directions. So whereas in, inside in an office, radio waves reflect off all surfaces. So you can have some plants between you and the router, but I'm not sure how effective that's even going to be to block them. But there's other pathways that these signals will take. They'll block, they'll bounce off ceilings, floors, and walls and reflect all over the place and eventually make it to you. So um, that's the challenge about shielding an indoor environment with all these reflections off of other surfaces. Okay, so everybody listening, bottom line, plants are beautiful. They can definitely enhance your environment, but please do not depend on them to block the EMF radiation coming from your wireless devices. It's just, it's not a thing. It, it can't possibly be. So um, thank you, Rob. Thanks for clearing that up. I, I've talked to people about that, but there, you know, we have a lot of myths going around uh, because the topic is so interesting to people. And so one of the myths is, you know, fill your, your not, they don't even say fill, they say get a houseplant and that way you don't have to worry about the EMF radiation. And there are very popular articles and even EMF quote unquote specialists that are recommending this as a, as a type of shielding. And I, and my concern is that people might feel that they're protected and then end up having the consequences of not being protected. So that's why. Yeah, August, good. There, there's some points here to make as well. And any of these, any of these theories should be measured before and after to verify the effectiveness. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that could be happening that we, we just don't see. And unless you're there and, and do an investigation on exactly what's happening and, and, you know, measurements before and after are critical. And, you know, that, that's to prove anything for sure. Like, I mean, that's what you need to do. You need to do measurements before and measurements after and analyze the data that you, that you gather. And if there is some type of shielding going on by, by chance, an investigation and, and trying to understand what's going on is always required. So, and that's so um, reasonable. That's so correct. And that is why I love your company. 
safe living technologies because not only do you design, build, and sell EMF meters, but you also do the consulting and the teaching, which is so important right now. But what I really wanted to talk to you about today were these amazing tools that you create that that Rob makes meters that can make the invisible EMF energy visible. And when he talks about uh, assessing a situation like uh, an EMF shielding situation before and then after, you're, you're talking about using those meters, right? Uh, that's correct. Yes. Uh, meters, meters are great, but also having some, some certified data behind them to, uh, to verify what, what they do is, is really important as well. And we're, we're all for that also. Oh, um, absolutely. Yes. And that's so you can do, you do all that, but how does one begin to go into the business of making a meter? I'm just really curious. How did you, how, how did that begin for you making meters, EMF meters particularly? Right. Well, yeah, it takes, takes a long, it's a long, it was a long process for me because just I've been in this business for um, close to 20 years now and it's recognizing all the meters I've seen along the way and what they're capable of doing and what I wish they did. And, um, you know, some perform really well, some perform poorly, poorly. It's, it's analyzing, um, all of the, uh, um, the meters that I've seen and trying to take the best qualities from each one and pack it into one and make it reasonably priced. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, um, it was a chore of, of analyzing many different types of meters over the years and, uh, trying to make one that, uh, was, was certified, that was affordable and, uh, performed well. Um, and also we're concerned with, measuring really low levels because because of the people we, d we deal with are electrically sensitive and they require meters to measure very small levels of, of radio frequency radiation so there's a specialty it, it takes a special um, type of engineering to make a meter that's sensitive enough to do that and a lot of the meters out there are geared for industry guidelines and industry guidelines are interested in measuring really high levels of radiation as opposed to low levels. So, um, yeah, there was a, a lot of testing we had to do in order to make it that sensitive for electrically sensitive people. So it was a, um, a long journey in order to, to create these meters and to, to get them to the specifications that we wanted them to be at. Well, you have two really beautiful meters that I love, love using, but but so so how long did it take to create to create those or even the first one that you came out with which was the classic the, the smaller one was that the right one yeah the, the classic took us about a year of development okay. and uh, learning and understanding what we're what we're what we're developing and uh yeah that, that we, we started with that and then built off the pro um from the basics we learned from the classic um, yeah, approximately a year of development, and then the pro took us um, about another year to develop as well. So it's it's quite a process of, of going into these these testing labs and testing chambers. You know, running your um, running some experiments to test how your meters perform, and then going back to your uh, um, going back to the engineering and design phase to try and try and um, perfect what you're measuring. 
Okay. Um, Is it a group of people that does this together or do you just do this yourself? Um, no, we, we have an engineering team we work with as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole team effort um, coming at it from all, all different directions. Yeah. And you talked about how you measure for sensitive people. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, about the background of, of how you determine what a sensitive person can be exposed to. Right. Well, it comes down to, uh, to the building biology guidelines. And these guidelines are, are designed for measuring the biological effects that, you know, that can affect a human being. The, these, these building biology guidelines are, are set at very low levels compared to industry guidelines. And what we're finding is if we can create an environment that has less than 10 microwatts per square meter in it, many of these electrically sensitive people um, are able to, to exist symptom-free. And, and that's the, that's the goal to try and make an electrically sensible, sensitive person comfortable in an environment. And, you know, that's, that's basically what we have to do. And we have to make sure the meter is able to, to measure accurately at those low levels, you know, at 0.1 microwatts per square meter, all the way to 10 microwatts per square meter. Right. And so what we're talking about, if you, if you have a safe and sound classic, um, and if you want to go on our website or Rob's website and see one, we're talking about being in that green area, or can we hop over to that yellow area when you're, when you're talking about the EMF sensitivity? Are we, are we talking slight or moderate? Yeah. We, when we designed the meters, we want it to be simple. So yeah, the safe and sound classic, basically green is good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a flashing green light is ideal. It's below one microwatt per square meter. And if you're still in the green, you're below 10 microwatts per square meter. And so I actually am fortunate enough to live in a home as well that keeps me in a flashing green. But I come to my office, not, I, I can't, well, once we, we went through the office and we took the meter everywhere and we were able to just by eliminating sources that were coming out of our office, like people's phones and people's computers and people's wireless speakers, we were able to get into a solid, moderate level. And, and, that, and we are surrounded by other people's Wi-Fis. We're on a busy street. And so that did give me hope. What do you think about a situation that's just straight moderate? Right. Well, these building biology guidelines are, are designed for sleeping environments. So it's really critical to get your sleeping environment as low as possible so your, your body can do its repairing from its daytime exposure. And, you know, when you're working during the daytime in an office environment, it's, it's really tough to control sometimes. And, you know, you, you do the best you can like you did. And, you know, getting it to a moderate level, which, which is between 10 and 100 microwatts per square meter might be the best you can do. And, and that's what you got to, to adapt to and live with. Um, obviously green if you can, but, um, not always possible in a work environment. It's challenging. I think so. I think, and, and I, I, I love the standards and I love how you've listed all the standards from, from different organizations on your website. I list standards as well, but my standards for personally are, are much more generous because I could find really very few people that could get into that low environment. And I didn't want to discourage them. I wanted right. to help them at the very least put their phone three feet away, you know, just so that they would at the very least take some of 
the awareness of it, but not be completely afraid, unless, of course, they do have EHS. And, and I do want to talk about that in a second, just how the levels have increased dramatically. But first, I want to ask you, do you have EHS? I don't. I believe I'm, I'm a little bit aware of my environment. Um, if I concentrate enough when I'm in a high exposure area, you know, I can feel things change a little bit. First thing that happens to me is I, I, the back of my neck starts tensing up and getting a little, a little stiff and, you know, a headache will start developing. You know, I only know that because I've, I've done this so many times. I'm in a, I'm in a clean environment and when, I, when we go out and do our testing and I have high exposure for long periods of time, you know, you, you, you notice these little things and that's kind of what I've noticed. And then when I get back to, to my home or my office where it's a quiet environment again, it, you know, those symptoms will go away after a day or so. So um, the symptoms are what you feel a bit of a, of a tension. Yeah, exactly. For me, it tenses up the back of my back of my neck and then it'll develop into a headache, you know, hours or um, into the evening. And uh, it'll, it usually takes a day or so to go away. But yeah, if you, if you can monitor your environment and know you're in a clean environment and, and note how you feel, once you go into a, a polluted RF environment, you may notice different symptoms coming along, you know, make note of them and, you know, see if it happens again and again when you go from a quiet to a noisy RF environment. You know, these electrically sensitive people that, that come to us, they're very sharp because they've, they've self-diagnosed this on their own. They've, they've proved this to themselves over and over again, confirming that they are electrically sensitive by going into quiet environments and noisy environments and, and noting the differences that happen to them when they when they go into these environments. And I love hearing from someone who doesn't have EHS like you because we know or, or we're, we know there's a biological effect on everyone. However, we're when we're sensitive, we can get away from it because it's so profound. The feelings are for me, also, are just so profound. But I do believe that people who aren't sensitive may be feeling those things, like like you said, the tension, maybe anxiety, maybe a headache. And it's so nice to quantify your situation, like you're like you're recommending people do, so that they can maybe even see how much better they feel without it, and then benefit from not being around the EMF if they don't have to be. Right, exactly. Yeah, just do, you know, this, this is all about doing, doing experiments to see what makes you feel better. And a lot of the business is, is part of that, you know, giving people options in order to, to get symptom relief or, or feel better. Have you been able to help people with what you do, uh, not just detecting, but also the mitigation efforts that you make and the shielding efforts that you make? Have you been able to help people and have you seen changes? Um, well, I definitely with shielding, there's, there's changes or even as simple as, you know, turning off your Wi-Fi router, um, getting rid of the cordless phones in your home. And all of a sudden people are starting to sleep at night. We, we also notice this when we shut off power in the sleeping area. You know, it's not, it's not just radio frequency waves that are affecting electrically sensitive people. It's exposure to power as well. So dealing with both of these factors, yeah, can make a, a huge difference. And, you know, some people it affects immediately and they see results immediately. Some, it can take a while. It can take weeks. It can take months. You know, everybody, their own biological 
same damage or effects that occur to their body and it, the healing process and results are different in each person. So it's, it's hard to really know to know what to expect from each person because everybody's different. And I, that's true. We're all different. And I've always uh, compared it to just other toxins. You know, we might find people who are sensitive to chlorine bleach and maybe immediately they're symptom free and maybe others, it takes a while to heal. And so to me, I, I compare it to just other toxins in the environment. If people want to try to understand what we're talking about, you know, um, does that resonate with you as well? Oh, absolutely. That's a perfect way of looking at it. Yes. And so, you know, you talked for a second about shielding and you mentioned it just now. And I know that you have also developed shielding products. What type of shielding have you developed? I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, we're, we're trying to keep it economical as well. So um, basic, we, we don't carry a lot of shielding materials. We, we carry some, some basic materials and, and one of them is um, aluminum foil. Like an aluminum foil, believe it or not, straight out of your kitchen cupboard is an excellent shield. It's a solid piece of metal. It blocks radio waves very effectively. So we have, we have a material that's like a builder's grade aluminum foil material that okay. uh you know, where would we be... put that so so rob so so just so that everyone listening understands what to do with that aluminum foil do we wrap it on the back of our phones for the product that that we were using it, it's designed to to be placed between you and the source so um this builder's grade material is basically designed to be used as a vapor barrier so it go under underneath drywall if you're if you're building a new home and you know form a barrier between you and the source which, be, which would be a cell phone tower that's what that was designed for and of course if you put a shield up in, in a house or or in a room you don't want to have wireless devices inside that area just because of the reflections that can be caused because of it and that, that's basically how these signals are blocked they're they're reflected back in the other direction um yeah the aluminum foil was, was one item there's an aluminum mesh as well that that can block radio waves, believe it or not. Um, the aluminum screen on your windows kind of works the same way. And, uh, you know, basically metal that has threads in a certain grid pattern, it blocks radio waves fairly effectively as well. Once we get into the very high gigahertz waves though, the wavelength is, is very small. So it can pass through these openings in mesh, but where we have that foil, that solid material, the wave, the, the radio waves, even the smaller wavelengths, you know, it's a solid piece of metal, so they, they can't get through. Those are the two kind of building materials that we have. And we also carry different kinds of shielding fabrics. And these fabrics basically have this metal grid of wires woven into them as well and block RF. And we use it for curtains and bed canopies. So those are two very popular items as well. Uh, one of the main entry points for our into a home can be through the windows, if they're older windows especially. You know, the sleeping environments, we need to try and get down below 10 microwatts per square meter. So bed canopies, um, RF shielding canopies are a really good solution for that. And I love this, Rob, because I have tried shielding and you're making it sound very easy and very practical and very protective. But I really think you should let people know about the situations that can occur if someone that ends up installing it themselves. What are the things right. to look out for? Right. Yeah. Every, every type of mitigation has secondary effects and shielding RF definitely, definitely has that as well. 
you know, we're, and, and I look at shielding as kind of a last resort. You know, we always like to try and eliminate all the sources if, if at all possible and keep the environment as natural as possible. By installing shielding, you're creating an unnatural environment and you got to look at it as a trade-off because you're going to create a secondary issue but you're going to be blocking a, a primary main issue. Like if you're, you know, half a mile from a cell phone tower and you're, you're getting hit with high levels of microwave radiation, installing a shield could be very beneficial for you. If you install a shield, you have to worry about reflections on the inside. You, may, you need to make sure you eliminate all your inside sources. Completely. Um, if I, so, yeah. so folks, do not go and put a bunch of foil on your windows and then turn on your cell phone inside. Or put your Wi-Fi on inside, correct? You've just defeated the purpose. Uh, that's correct as well. Yes, and definitely. You have to, understanding what the source is, you know, implementing, you know, detect by measuring, understand what the source is, protect, so install shielding, and then verify afterwards with a, me- with a measurement. Because, that's you know, yeah, yeah, you always want to make sure that you measure after you shield because many strange things can happen with, with RF shielding and for peace of mind and to be sure, you always want to measure before and after to make sure the net result at the end is positive. Exactly. And and I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about the screens, the metal screens and uh, the wave that can actually get through the screen. Are you talking about a 5G wave? Um, yes, millimeter waves are, are very high frequency waves have a very small wavelength. They can, they can get through a lot of openings and, uh, you know, these, these small openings in, in meshes. They can, they can definitely get through those. Another property of these 5G waves is they have problems penetrating buildings, um, and, and glass areas. So they often have difficulty getting into buildings. Um, they are cell phone companies are have technology that helps them do that. These beam forming transmitters. That helps them pass through buildings better, but there, there's still difficulty passing through buildings at the current power levels that uh, they're allowed to transmit at these days. Do, your, do you have a meter yet that can pick up that wave? No, unfortunately, we don't. And unfortunately, meters that are out there are kind of geared for industry as well. They are um, very expensive, and there's really nothing affordable out there right now that, that can measure those those millimeter waves, you know, 2.4 gigahertz up to 90 gigahertz. So yeah, it's, it's on our, our wish list for, for meters to design. We're, we're working on it, but it's going to take some time for something to develop in that field. And so, you know, you hear it like, like we all have, we're hearing so much about 5G and there's a lot of people have a lot of fear about it. What do you recommend in terms of? detection and shielding as far as 5g goes the actual millimeter wave that may or may not be out there right now well yeah exactly that's the thing so we at this point in time i think 99.99 percent of the waves out there from from the cellular system is under six gigahertz not so all this all the standard um, methods for blocking 99.9 of them can be used and for the 5g signals you just have to make sure that the material you're using would work at, you know, 24 to 40 or to 60 gigahertz. And 
a lot of materials have difficulty at those frequencies. So you're almost looking at solid metal to, to block these signals because any little gap will let these little millimeter waves through. And um, yeah, solid metal. We know that shielding paint will do it as well, this carbon-based shielding paint. Um, the window film that we have does very good at high frequencies as well. And the challenge is with these frequencies actually penetrating buildings too. So there's very much still to learn about this. It's not, these signals aren't out there as, as much as we think they are at this point in time. Things may change and things always change in this business. So um, we'll just have to monitor and see how this, uh, this true 5G development goes over time. So right now we can rest a little bit knowing that you said about 1% of the wireless energy out there maybe this millimeter wave right there's installations out there and it's primarily in uh you know high, highly densely populated areas like some downtown streets and some major cities have this at this point in time but for for this technology to get out into the, the suburbs you know i just don't don't see it happening very quickly if at all Great. That's good news. Very good news. And, and, you know, Rob, when you were talking about the shielding and the detection before and after, so just want to get this straight, before you use shielding, detect, after you use shielding, detect. And the shielding that you're talking about is home shielding. You're not talking about wearing a cap or covering yourself with a blanket, correct? Correct. Okay. And... You know, you and I were at an EMF conference last year that we both uh, sponsored, and that was great. Great to meet you in person. Uh, but there were a couple of people there that wore EMF jumpsuits, full protection. Do you remember? Seeing I them? do. Okay. Yeah. And when I spoke to them about it, they said that in addition to the jumpsuits, that which also covered their feet, they had little booties that covered their feet, they also wore visors that would reflect the EMF away from their face. And they said that they were so sensitive that normally they also had their face covered. But for the conference, because they there were so many steps that they took to eliminate EMF in the conference area, that they were able to wear just a visor. And so knowing that and knowing that these people really, really were incredibly sensitive and were taking great care and came to a conference just to learn all about EMF and what they could do about it. What do you say to people who think they should just put a hat on and be protected from EMF? Right. We've like over the years, we've seen various reactions to, to wearing shielded clothing or metallic clothing. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. I mean, some people do really well and, and they love it. And, and other people, they react really, really poorly to it. So I myself am still trying to understand the effects of, of shielded clothing on the body. And uh, it's just something we have to learn about um, as we as we go on here. And I would say if you're going to try it, do it as an experiment and listen to what your body says. And if it reacts negatively, then then it's it's probably not for you or you want to try a different approach to it. Yeah, um, I have, I've tried them all. And I, way back, you know, as soon as, as soon as everything came out, I started trying everything. And I realized that the, the heat that I felt, and it's not, it's not a heat that anyone else can feel. It's just a heat that I feel in my, in my body, and like a, a tingling. It, it always increased it. It just hmm. made, made that bizarre heat that I feel worse. And then I started to understand that it's reflecting. So maybe it's reflecting to the areas 
that aren't covered. And that's why I'm feeling that sensation. Yeah. And then there's, there's conductive fabric and non-conductive fabric. And is there an insulating layer between you and, and these fabrics? You know, that, that may help. Yeah. When radio waves hit, hit a metal, uh, you know, they, they cause internal current flow inside the material, similar to the frequencies that are hitting it. So does that then transfer onto your body if you're in direct contact with it? You know, there's so much we need to learn and understand about this, first of all. So, so yeah, I, I just use a little bit of caution when you're, if you're going to experiment with shielded clothing. And okay. And then the last thing about shielding, we'll move off of it. But what about the shielding uh, that goes on a phone? I, I mean, you probably know how I feel about it. I'm not a fan of putting my phone in a pouch that's partially shield, shielded. Do you, have you tried the phone cases that are shielded on the top or have you tried a pouch? Um, back when they first came out many years ago, we, we did some experimenting with them. But it's kind of like when you when you go in into an elevator and, you know, you start losing the service of your phone. And what happens is the phone will actually increase its transmission in order to try and get a signal. So that's kind of the same thing that's happening with your phone. When it's in a pouch, um, it's probably going to increase its signal. It's going to probably wear out the battery or drain down the battery quicker. I'm not sure how, how effective it, it will really be for you, um, especially if you're, if it's still, um, if you're still in direct contact with it and it's on your hip in a pouch. You know, it's all that RF is, is hitting that shield and it's still kind of in contact with your body. In your demonstrations, I think you demonstrated it's not completely sealed either. So it's leaking out in certain areas, um, which can cause hot spots. I think the only true way of achieving protection is to eliminate the source. And the source is the phone. So um, I would say, you know, you, you'd have to try and get it off your body for sure. And, you know, ultimately put it in airplane mode. And check messages when you when you need to, or you know, use the phone when you need to, as opposed to having it on all the time. And the piece that comes with that, you know, is so awesome. One last question back to you, meters. Uh, have you noticed since you've been you know working with meters and creating meters for what fifteen years? You've been using a meter or twenty? We've been using meters for about twenty years. Yes. Have you noticed just an increase in the ambient readings? Well, back. Back in the days, you know, if you're close to a tower, the ambient readings were pretty high still. But back then, like you would find a lot more sheltered spots. Now, the coverage, there's so many towers out there that it's really tough to find these these sheltered areas. So we're, we're still getting, you know, significant readings and they, they de definitely have went up too. But um, I find it's more the sheltered spots. There's not that many of them. You know, the cell phone companies are doing a great job. You know, getting coverage in, in many places and, you know, the cell phone, you're not, you're not dropping signals as we did in the old days either. You know, I used to drive down the road and it'd be normal to, to drop a signal, but that, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. The, the coverage area is definitely um, more densely radiated with this RF radiation from more towers. And do you think it's all cell phone radiation and, or Wi-Fi or do you think it's the combination? Um, I think it's mostly cell phone outside, you know, Wi-Fi doesn't tend to transmit far, far out of people's homes. You know, it may affect if you have your, your Wi-Fi on, it, it may affect two or three homes down the street and then, then it pretty well ends. Unless Rob, you're in a city like we are and there's mesh networks and they serve to form sort of an umbrella of this, you know, 12 block area that I'm in. Have you seen stuff like that? Okay. Um, no, not in my area, but um, 
Yeah, it, it can exist out there for sure. And you know what I love? Okay, I have to tell everybody, your sound signatures are the coolest because I can tell that it's Wi-Fi versus cell phone. And how did you come to, to create these? So, so Rob's meters, when you're measuring RF energy, and that can be from any wireless device, he's put this sound onto that particular wave. How did you do that? And how did you think of doing it? Um, I can't take credit for that. That was that was developed before my time. And I, I just thought it was a, a great feature to have. And it has to do with the, the modulation or the data that's basically being sent by these phones. And it's the, it's the frequency of the data pattern that's coming off the phones. And it's not the carrier wave, like the carrier wave for a, uh, a DEX 6.0 telephone would be you know 1.8 1.9 gigahertz it's the modulation on that so it's actual data that's coming through mm -hmm. and that's what we're just basically sending through a speaker and because it's low frequency it's not this this high gigahertz range you know we can play it on a speaker and you can hear it because it's it's low frequency and that's the biological part for our bodies as well because our bodies operate at low frequencies um, you know starting you know, below one hertz and going up to a few hundred hertz. Um, so I'm told. And, and a lot of that, uh, this modulated, these modulated sing signals coming from pulse digital devices can be in that range. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we, we suspect the biological effects occurring. But yeah, it's each, each device has its own modulation or data transmission pattern. And that's what these sounds you're hearing. That's what these sounds are that you're hearing. And it can help you easily identify the source because just looking at a screen at a number really doesn't tell you much about what's causing it. But these audio patterns can really help you identify sources. And, you know, just by using the meters for a short period of time, you'll quickly be able to identify what a wireless router sounds like, what a cordless phone sounds like, what a cell phone tower sounds like. You know, those are the the three main offenders that we see all over and over again. Right. It's, it's awesome. And I love what you do that description just now, when you talked about the modulation and the biological effect, another myth or not a myth, really an argument that I hear is, well, they're everywhere. The same energy is occurring naturally in the environment. So tell me just a little bit from an engineer's perspective, the difference between that wave that might be occurring naturally versus the one that's happening because it's unnatural man-made. Right. Yeah. These are, these are called technical waves or technical fields and they're, they're generated by man. The, you know, what exists in nature for AC um, alternating current waves is at a super low level, hundreds of thousands, you know, millions of times less than what we're being exposed to. And, and what we, uh, we evolved with you know becoming human beings in the in the 20th century or 21st century you mentioned the modulation and to me it's when you put that information on the signal because nature didn't put the data on the signal that's a really good way of putting it august you're right yeah that uh that sums it up quite nicely and so can my meter my my safe living technology meter can it also detect the waves that are made by nature they're at, they're at such a low level that I don't think you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to measure that, August. Okay, just curious. Wanted to know from the man who made it. 
Um, and so I know I keep saying it's the last question, but this is close to the last question. First of all, what's an electronics engineering technologist and how did you get into the field? Oh, sure. Yeah. When, uh, back in high school, just making decisions, I knew I wanted to get into the tech area. And it was either, um, you know, machine shop or uh, electronics. So um, I chose the, the electronics path and uh, um, um, in the computer system area to uh, to go through. Um, computers were big um, in the, the late 80s and, you know, the, the first PC came out at that time. So I thought it would be a good field to get into. And um, it was. Um, yeah, it was a great field. I was in the computer um, the service technology field for, uh, 17, 18 years. And, um, that was a great place to be. I enjoyed my job and, um, yeah, an electronic engineering technologist basically, um, is not an engineer. The engineers, basically what I did was I would test what the engineers designed and built and, you know, work with the measuring equipment to, to test, um, you know, these engineering designs and make sure they perform as they, they should perform. So that's what an electronics engineering technologist does. Wow. And then uh, I was just able to apply that that skill set to the, uh, the electromagnetic radiation field as well when I decided to, to to switch over to this business. And, yeah, for me, it was a gradual switch. Um, it, it took a while to understand how this field um, will develop into a business, and um, um, and yeah, there, there's definitely opportunities there um, for technical people. Um, what you're, a, yeah, yeah, it's a technical field, and it's difficult to understand the concepts that are occurring here. And you know, anybody with a technical background will, will, you know, has a good chance of doing quite well understanding all the phenomena that occur in this field. Before we go, what's the one thing that we haven't talked about that you think everybody should know right now? Every um, level of reduction you can achieve in electromagnetic field exposure is uh, is worth taking. You know, every if you can just get it down a little bit, get it down a little bit, but it, it's all worth it. The less exposure we have to this, the higher quality of life we're going to experience long term. Right. That's so good. And if people want to find you, if they want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? And do you offer your services as a consultant or are we mainly just talking about the business now? Um, yeah, I'm at uh, www.slt.co, Safe Living Technologies, Inc. And we do offer consultation services. We, we have a, uh, a large service provider list throughout the country as well of all certified trained building biologists that can come out and do home inspections for people and um, also do telephone consultation services. Um, and that, that would be under our website, under company and then local service providers. I love the building biologists. I too have a listing. Uh, but also if you really want to learn from Rob, Rob, you're a teacher at the Institute, are you not? That's correct. We're, we're right now... We just finished our, our 312 Advanced Electromagnetic Radiation Training online on Sunday. We're getting ready to uh, do another course shortly um, in the next week or so. And yeah, building biology is a, a great way to get exposed to all the theory and practicality of actually doing some measurements to uh, assess and determine um, field strength of these fields and how to mitigate them. 
Absolutely. There's no training like that of a building biologist, honestly. If you really are having uh, issues in your home, uh, any type of EMF, electromagnetic, RF, any type, definitely a building biologist is the person to call and to think that you're an instructor. It's, I just have such great respect for you. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us today. Well, you're welcome, Long. It's my pleasure. And here are my five top takeaways from my great interview with Rob Metzinger. EMF awareness is increasing daily. This is number one. The only way to make sure you know how much wireless EMF is in your home is to use a radio frequency meter. Make sure your meter is certified to be accurate. Number two, the best EMF protection is distancing yourself from the source. We always say distance is your friend. So put as much space as you can between you and your phone, your computer, the wireless speakers in your home, etc., or turn them off or on airplane. Number three, shielding or blocking EMF is really a tricky proposition. So whether you're attempting to use a tall forest over your roof to block a cell phone tower in the neighborhood or metallic material on your walls or around your phone or laptop or on your body, it's important to use a meter before you shield and after to measure and verify the effectiveness. And four, as an engineer and EMF instructor, Rob helped us understand how metal material or shielding can reflect those electromagnetic fields, those invisible wireless energy signals away, but that means it can reflect it back to you, so you have to be careful. You know, he also told us that some people feel better with shielding clothing and some people don't. Number five, finally, even very low levels of EMF can affect you. Rob creates meters according to the building biology guidelines for the amount of EMF that can cause biological effects. Find a meter that has accuracy down to low levels of wireless radiation. And speaking of those, we have in the notes a great discount to our two safe living technologies meters on techwellness.com and they ship free. Next podcast, I've got another great guest. So the trick is to subscribe so you won't miss it. And it really helps to get the word out. If you can please give us a nice rating on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Thriving with Technology from techwellness.com.